Ah, good morning. It's good to be back. It's going to be good to go away again too, though. Had a wonderful trip. I'm just going to give a brief rundown and then we're going to get started. Um, flew into uh, Arusha, Tanzania at the uh, base of Kilimanjaro and then we went from there to Drove down the Pata Mountain Range, which is Kilimanjaro, going northeast all the way into the Indian Ocean. I mean, breathtaking. I've never seen mountains like that before. It is probably the most beautiful place in Africa. I've never seen mountains like that. The rock formation, it was magnificent. It was amazing how, how beautiful it was. And we go into this little, little village. This is a small crusade. We're just trying. We're trying to reach all of everybody, not just the largest. So we've traveled into this because this is a Muslim stronghold city or village, and so we set up the the um, the crusade, and it was very small. It was three, maybe four thousand people, but over a thousand Muslims were converted to Christ. Amen. I mean, it's amazing that when you go, he shows up. It's just, you know, so then I left, went from there to um, um, Botswana and um, we're getting everything planned for the base camp Botswana this summer. And um, then Jerry got called back to the U.S. two days before I was due to come home. And so he got, had to go to Houston. And so he said, can you do Village Church? I said, sure, I've done it before. But Village Church is the largest building in the nation of Tanzania. Period. The government rents it out. As a matter of fact, while I was there, the government had it rented out three or four times um, to do seminars on different government workers and things like that. So anyway, so I get there and I preached there. The last time I preached there, uh, it was good. and you know, But this time... I get my iPad out. I'm sitting, I'm on the front row, and I look at my iPad, and it just goes, blank. <laughs> so, I'm 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 up in Village Church, man. I this place is packed there. I, there's piles of people there, and and I got nothing. Absolutely, bipkus, nothing. And so I keep messing my, my, my tab. I said, this ain't going to work. So I go and I put that thing down. And you know what I do? My dad had a life verse. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll direct your path. And I started preaching do something because I know all the scriptures there. You know what I mean? I've preached it a million times all over. But when I preached this time, it was different. It was different. And the funny thing, and, and it, was, it was amazing that everything happened. But the funny thing was when I went back, and I was getting ready to leave, my iPad went, came right back up. I hadn't had one, one ounce of problem out of it. See, there's just, uh, I was sent there. I didn't go there on my own. I believe the Great Commission. I believe that we're supposed to go and do. I think that that's what Jesus did the entire time he was here on this planet. 
in an earthly form. And that's what we're supposed to do. But what we've got to realize is there's so much power. When I preach this do something, I preach a different message, uh, uh, method, and I want to do that this morning briefly, just briefly because I want to get this done. I want to hear what Taylor's got to say um, because he's so much better than I am at preaching. It's, just, it's sickening. It's sickening. Sickening. Uh, but um, y'all remember the ten lepers? They saw Jesus from far away, and they said, Son of David, have mercy on us. And he said he heard them, and then he saw them. And I took that into hearing and doing, and it was just, it was really good. But uh, Jesus didn't say, okay, you're healed. He said, what you want? We're stinking lepers. What do you think we want? You know, I mean, they didn't say that. I don't think they did. That's what I'd have said. I'd have probably said a leper too. But um, anyway, they said, we want, to, we want to be cleansed of leprosy. And Jesus made this thing. It was so simple. He said, go show yourself to the priest. So they were given a command from Jesus to go. They were sent by Jesus somewhere. There is power in being sent. There's more power being sent than anything that I know of. The power of being sent. And what people don't understand is that's what an ordination is and that's it alone. You're being sent from some place to another. And the blessing of this church and the covering and the anointing, everything this church has is behind you. We're not in front of you pulling you anymore. You're going and we're backing you. That's what you as a church are doing as we ordain T. and Taylor. The license gives you the right to marry them and bury them. And you're just, you know, and, and there's, we've got a lot of that. But, but when you're sent out on an assignment, you come back to your home church and they send you out because there's power in that. There's a power that's going to be in their lives in just a few minutes that's never been there before. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. Let's look at my scripture. Um, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He started praying for his disciples. This is what he said. He said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. He's talking to God. He's praying for his disciples, man. He prays for you just like this. Just like this. But that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. They're not of this world. They may be in it, but they're not of it. They're going to transform the world. The world's not going to transform them. Next. Sanctify them by your truth, God. Your word is truth. Here we go. As you, what? As you sent me into the world. God ordained Jesus to go into the world. He sent him into the world. That's where a lot of the power that Jesus came. He was sent into the world. He said, I also have sent them into the world. 
Talking about disciples. With all the power that God gave him when he sent him, he belayed that over to his disciples. And if you read further down, you're going to find out where Jesus prays for all believers in this same prayer. And for their sakes, he didn't sanctify himself for his sake. For their sakes, I sanctify myself. That they also may be sanctified by the truth. The power of being sent. The power of being ordained. It's an amazing. It's an amazing thing. It really is. It's a powerful. It's a powerful thing. But we are putting our. If, if I had to do it in a in a term in terminology of just a lay person, we're putting our seal of approval on this wonderful couple, and we're going to help them however they need help. Period. That's what, you, that's what your job is. We're sending them out, and if they need it, they got it. This is a covenant agreement between the church and ministers. So is that me? Is it Tom and Dorothy, uh, Jody and Devin, Ginger? And, yeah, y'all, too, I forgot. y'all come on. Ginger? Stop. No. I just remember um, it. I just remember for myself when our pastor, Dr. Rob, uh, laid hands on me. I was on the sidewalk at Discover Camp of all places. We were trying to find our time to do it. We weren't inside a church. We were outside. And the people that meant the most to me, Paul was there. Philip was there. Dr. Rob was there. And they laid hands and commissioned that ordination upon me to carry the gospel. And I just know that from that day forward, I feel like I had a, a little bit of that that crazy do-something anointing that was passed down from Dr. Rob, from Pastor Paul, from myself, and, and, huh? yep. and from TL as well. So that thing is going to pour into you. And I just know that I know that I know that I know that great, amazing things are going to come and overtake y'all. And as you step out into what God's called and created you to do, man, it's, it's going to be, you just hang on, hang on to the anointing. Just chase that anointing and he'll take you to great and mighty places as well as our future little Wilson that uh, will be with us in a few months. So, <laughs> It's important for you guys to know this, that there is a spiritual genealogy. That, that goes along, and and, and the um, ours began with uh, Alexander Dowie, went to F. F. Bosworth, went to T. L., went through Branham, you know, with all those guys. Those are you're out of the line of Dowie and and, and Bosworth, and those things that you read about them doing, you're going to see that start to take place in your life, without effort. It just follows you. You don't chase it; it chases you. Amen. I mean, let's pray.
How y'all doing this morning? Lord, Lord. See, Paul's got his iPad and I got my iPad. It never powers off. (laughs) Yeah, no. Unless the wind comes or water or, yeah, any of that. But so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Lucas, means the world. You're here, man. That's so good. Um, Yeah. Uh, But I think last time we were here, we were still at the Dream Center. We have now... Uh, we've now relocated to the great state of Utah, and it's like living in a screensaver. It is nuts. It is so pretty. Um, the first month, I think I wrecked, or I almost wrecked, uh, and it wasn't because I'm just a bad driver. I was a very distracted driver because I was just looking at mountains, and then I just started going off the road, uh, and it's just so, so pretty. But if, you, if you're new to me and Tia, uh, we've been a part of this house um, forever it feels like um and we were in the dream center and what we were doing there was a number of different things because when how many of you know whenever you get into ministry you don't wear one hat you wear all the hats um and so we were there and we served i served in outreach primarily uh for for a few years we were there for like three or four years something like that never wanted to go to la i'm not an la person not a huge fan um but i followed peace right like that's what you do you follow peace not what you feel uh never really wanted to go to la to be honest i was looking at trying to go to mozambique i wanted to be with heidi baker right if you guys don't know who heidi baker is it's like the modern day mother Teresa. so i'm like okay and i graduated from the school of missions so i'm like i'm not going to la hello like i don't want to go there i want to go eat something that i probably shouldn't be eating and i want to live in something i probably shouldn't be living in and i want to you know be around people that don't speak the same language as me and come to find out whenever i moved to la we did not speak the same language and i did eat some things that i probably shouldn't have ate and i definitely lived in places that i shouldn't have been living in and uh totally redefined missions but, um, you know, I, I served there in, in doing outreach uh, anywhere from Compton to Skid Row. If you don't know where Skid Row or what Skid Row is, it's about 54 blocks of people experiencing homelessness. It looks like something out of a third world country. It is absolutely berserk. It will um, I, it'll wreck you. It will absolutely wreck you. And I learned, I think God did more in me than he did through me in that season because I had learned so much. And later on, I started to be, I was moved to being a director uh, of short-term missions. So basically, I still went on outreach. I just kind of helped coach people and commission people uh, to not only just come and do it here for a week, but then just send them out. And it was cool. And that, se- and, and that season, we did stuff. We did evangelism training, prayer training and stuff. And so we'd have kids that would come in through christian private schools who didn't know jesus and so they'd get they'd get saved on their mission trip and uh, and then they'd go evangelize and it's like how can you tell somebody about somebody that you don't know anything about so we need to get that fixed right and then we'll send you out and so it was amazing and tia she did some outreach as well but she did internship and then ended up coming on staff do you want to tell them a little bit about what you did or you got it you got it you got it you can explain it a lot better than i can Yeah, so I did an internship like Taylor did there. Um, I got to live with women going through recovery. They had done their first year of recovery, so I lived with them um, in their second and third year of recovery. I kind of got to help them learn how to adult sober for the first time, a lot of them, um, walk through some root issues, and, yeah, just do life with them. Yeah. But then also, also, yep, yep, also 
still chasing her. Uh, also, she led a program for people that were coming to long-term volunteer as well, right? And it's called Immersion. It was so funny because it's the program that we both came in to do, but then yet before we left, she was leading it and um, just kind of helping coach people through that and make sure that whenever they leave, they're commissioned. That was literally like what our job was, is to just basically come in, reach people, but then also show people how to reach people and send them out so that they could do it at home. So, uh, And you guys were a part of that. And so we're so very thankful for all of your support and love. And so thank you so much. And then anything? <laughs> no, he's, uh, well, I said he. We'll find out soon. But uh, yeah, all that to say, thank you guys so much for just supporting us and loving us, sending us out. Um, and everything that you guys have been to us, it means the absolute world. So, with all that being said, let's actually get into what I feel like God's wanting to say. Um, and I want to talk today about knockoff Christianity. Um, and this is something that, for me, um, even this morning, has just been a reoccurring theme from the prayer room, to even what somebody else came in and said in the prayer room, to even what my man said in tithing, to all of it has led up to this. And I, I actually got to share this in Celine last Sunday, but like I just feel um, just really compelled. I feel really heavy on this, and I don't really know how to explain that, but I just really feel strongly that this is what I'm supposed to share. And so knock off Christianity. If you could, let's pull up the scriptures, Matthew 14. Verse 22, I'll read the scripture and then we'll pray and then we'll jump in. Matthew 14, verse 22. Listen, I'm going to read to you a very familiar story. And whenever I took a homiletics class, if you don't believe me before the end of the day, I just want you to know I did take a class. I just don't know if it all sat in. And because this is probably one of the least homiletically sound sermons that you will hear. So as far as like three points and a start and a conclusion, I'm not doing all that. I've got less of an outline and more of a map. Is that okay? And I, there's a destination that I'm trying to get get somewhere. And so I'm just, instead of giving you points, I'm going to give you directions of how we're going to get there. Amen? All right. So Matthew 14. This is when Jesus and Peter, uh, Peter starts to step out, right? So we've heard this sermon a million times. What I want you to do is I want you to begin to see it in a new way. And so forget everything that you've heard, at least for now. And then whenever you leave, let it all soak back in. I don't care, right? But... Whenever you preach a sermon like this, this is what they tell you. They say, be careful when you go to preach something that's so familiar because half your audience will turn their brain off because they've already heard it. And so I don't want you to turn your brain off. And so I just hope that that kind of... But Matthew 14, verse 22, um, it says this, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray Later that night, he later that night he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake, and when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Right, rightfully so. Yeah, it's a ghost. They said and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, "Take courage; it is I. Do not be afraid." And in at this verse, this is what I love. Like, everybody talks sm so much smack about Peter. I love Peter. Peter's like one of my favorite dudes. Because we talk about, well, Peter fell in the water. He didn't keep his eyes on Jesus. Peter was the only one that stepped out. 
He was the only one that stepped out. And if there's anybody that you want in your team, it's Peter. He's the one that's cutting folks' ears off, okay, out of loyalty. I want Peter on my team. Y'all can talk all the smack you want. You can keep John. Give me Peter. <laughs> like, you can keep the guy that wants to be nuzzled up on his chest, and I get that 100%. But when somebody's coming to get me, get off my lap and pull out your sword. Amen. So I love, love, love Peter. And he says this. <laughs> so everybody's like, it's a ghost. And then they're like, I think it's Jesus. And Peter's like, all right, Lord, um, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus, Jesus says, come. Then Peter got down off the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when, it, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much um, that, Father, you are worthy of us getting out of the boat. Um, and Holy Spirit, we're so thankful that you're here. And God, get me out of the way and do what you want. In Jesus' name, amen. Whenever I was in L.A., um, it was really, I've always been a shoe guy, I really like shoes, and um, so L.A. was a great place to do that, and so I come up with a side hustle, right, as if I had free time, and so I come up with a side hustle, and I started just like buying and selling shoes, and I was making profit, and it kind of funded my habit. Uh, I know that sounds really bad, but here we are, and so I would trade shoes, or I would buy some shoes, refurbish, sell, and it was like... We're not talking about, like, you know, Skechers or something like that. We're talking about, like, high-dollar Jordans and stuff. So I'm not, like, taking your shape-ups and washing them up and putting them on <laughs> offer-up or something. But, like, I would take these shoes that there was low supply, high demand, whatever. And so they're... But, you know, what's crazy is that they make these shoes that look exactly like the authentic ones. But, like, whenever you begin to look at it, um, you can see minor, minor details that'll cost some of these shoes. Some of these shoes are go nuts. I never really did any of these, but like it could go from a few thousand dollars to less than a hundred because of minor, uh, just little things like even the stitching or the way that the logo is underneath the stuff that doesn't even matter. Right. It's like, and you could wear some of them even right now. And I could walk up and down and somebody that knows them could be like, Oh man, those are cool. Like Whatever. They cannot tell that they're not authentic. And so there was this app, right? They have this app, and it's called Check Check, and you can go. And so whenever you're going to buy something from somebody, you can actually take a few pictures. And I guess they have some nerds in this database or something that, like, sit up, and they go through all the pictures that you would take because they would say something like, take a picture of the right side, of the left side, of the top. Now take the insole out. Take a picture of the insole. Now you're taking a picture of the back of the insole and doing all these kinds of different things. And, it, and then you send them all the pictures, and you pay for the check, and they tell you, if they're authentic or not, and then they tell you what makes them not authentic. And so that way you know it's the difference between me spending $500 and me not buying them at all because they're not worth anything. I can't make any money off of this, and I can't sell something that's fake, right? And I remember there was a deal, and there was a shoe that was kind of expensive. It was worth a lot, but then it was like not... I knew that I could make money off of it. And so I remember driving super early one morning because I went to go meet him because I was like, I want, if this is legit, then I need to like make sure, like I need to make sure and be quick, right? So I'm watching videos the night before and probably too many videos of how to legit check these 
pair of sneakers and they're like, you got to check the stitching on this and look here and look there and like all these kinds of different things. And they said, oh, and make sure to bring your black light. And I'm like, who has, okay, first of all, who's had a black light here recently? Uh, you know what I mean? And, and it's like, y'all are the people that go and check the hotel rooms and make it, nobody ever want to stay anywhere. Um, but so like, you got to get your black light and you begin to look over it. And I feel kind of like what Holy Spirit's wanting to do today or what, what, what I would say that God's kind of urged me is that we're going to do some of those legit checks on our walk today. And we're going to find out if we just have the appearance of being real, but then whenever we begin to look at the seams and the things like that, if it's authentic. And I'm not saying all of the... I'm, I don't think God's going to try to expose these things to make you feel bad about yourself. There is no condemnation in this house. But what I do want to do is if we begin to find some of these reasons, like they would send me the thing and be like, well, the upper here is stitched wrong or incorrectly. It's not consistent. Whatever. If we find things like that in our walk... I want to tell you that there's a better way. That's it. I'm not here to tell you, oh, you sucked it up, you failed, you might as well quit, or you, you know what, you're not God's bet. That's not what I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you there's a better way. And if we don't live in this better way, we'll tire out, or even worse, we'll go on the same thing, and, and, and we'll be in this motion and this um, cycle to where there's no life. Me and Tia were having a conversation even just a couple days ago. We were talking about, and it sounds like we're like super spiritual. It's just something that came up, right? So like we're not just like talking about, oh, the goodness of God everywhere that we go. But we were having a conversation, and even though I would like for you to think of me like that, it's not true. Um, I laugh at stuff I shouldn't laugh at. I do things I probably shouldn't do, but here we are. God still loves me, right? Amen. Amen. All right. This man believes it. Uh, But... We were talking and I was like, man, I was just thinking about what my life would look like if God would have never intervened. And I was like, well, you know, like I, I probably could have been doing this or doing that. But really, and, and, and Tia had some of the same things and began to think. It's like, man, you know what, God, not only does God save you from your sin, he, he forgives you from all of these things, but he saved me from normal. He saved me from normal. And for, and I'm not sitting here saying, I'm not, I don't think everybody's called to do what we do. And I'm definitely not called to do what some of you guys do. But as far as being normal in the sense of thinking the same way that everybody else thinks, all of those things get erased whenever I come to Jesus because he's called me to something higher. He's called me to something better. He's called me to another law. And so whenever I begin to think, if, the, if, you're, if being a Christian to you is convenient, I don't know if you've got it yet. Because whenever I read, and I, I, please hear me out. I'm not trying to bash you, but I, I want to awaken you to something that's better um, because there is a real Jesus, there's real love, there's a real call, and there's a real plan, and there's a real purpose for your life. But if you surrender it to normal, you'll miss it. And you'll live this whole life trying to do what everybody else is doing. And you'll only have what they have. But yet, I want to tell you that God has something so much better for you. And we're sitting here, and, uh, and we're just talking, and yeah, He, he saved me. He saved me from normal. He saved me from these kinds of things. Because when I read the Bible and somebody tells me they're a Christian, but yet their life doesn't look different, that's not biblical Christianity. I love you, but it's just not biblical. 
there's not a person that walked with Jesus that was a disciple of Jesus that did not totally redirect and totally do something different with their life. And so if you can sit here and tell me that the same life that you lived before is now you've got a convenient dose of Jesus to make yourself feel better, you've missed it. And you've got a knockoff. You have the appearance... You have all of these things, but yet when we put the light on you, it's not authentic. It's not real. It's not what Jesus paid for. Um, so whenever I think about Peter getting out of the boat, I, I, I ask myself, why did I get out of the boat? Why did I get out? Because when, when I look at this, I don't think Peter was like, I just want to walk on the water. What kind of, that's not a desire. Like, nobody sees the ocean. I'm like, man, it'd be so sick if I could just walk on that. And Peter's now sitting there in a boat going, I just want to, really want to walk on this water. Oh, there's Jesus. Here's an excuse. But he stepped out because Jesus called him. He stepped out because I want to be closer to him. Right? That's his, that's his whole heart. I remember one time, it was my senior dinner. Uh, and I forget the name of the restaurant, but it's in Nac- it, I almost said Natchitoches. Natchitoches. Uh, <laughs> old habits die hard. Um, but we were in Natchitoches, and it's right there on the on the brick road. Right, I forget the name of the restaurant. But anyways, it doesn't matter. It was super nice. I was dressed up, and I, whenever the dinner was over, we were sitting there and we're taking pictures, right? Because that's what you do. And I was just, I'm not a big person for that, but. We're sitting there by the lake, and I was like, and there's this giant fountain, and it's got lights on it and stuff. And I was like, I look over at my buddy, and I was like, I'm gonna jump out, and I'm gonna go swim to the, I'm gonna go swim to the fountain. He's like, Dude, you got all your good clothes on. It sounds like Stephen Dickerson, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> man, man, you can't do all that. Got all your nice clothes on. But <laughs> I, uh, but I said, I'm gonna swim out there, and I'm gonna come back. And he's like, No, you won't. And I said, Oh yeah, bet. And so I jump out, and I start swimming. And at this point in time, um, I am not in shape. I am just a shape, okay? Like, uh, it's, uh, like, I didn't have no business jumping out there, uh, you know. Like, I start sweating, peeling an orange at this point. So it's just like, I don't know what I was thinking. But I remember the adrenaline of everybody going, oh, my God, he did it. And I'm just, like, swimming, right? And then I get, like, ten strokes in, and I look how far the fountain is. But then I'm like... I can't turn back, right? Because I've already told these people that I'm going to swim out to the fountain. And sometimes in our walk, that's kind of where we get. Because we'll jump out and we're going to go full force towards Jesus. And then we get halfway out there and it's like, I was not ready for this. Mistakes were made. This is hard. Because I was, I didn't feel equipped. I was not trained. I had not the lung capacity. I didn't have the endurance. I barely know how to float at this point, much less swim. And so, you know, I, I, I think whenever Peter steps out onto the water, the wind was already blowing. The waves are already there. But when Peter stepped out, he saw these things and yet it did not affect him because what he had his eyes on was greater to him than anything else. And if we're not careful, the very things that will take us under are the very things that we're supposed to stand on in the first place. Amen. Right? Yeah. And we can sit here and we can talk about trials and we can talk about temptation. We can talk about the things that everybody else talks about. I'm not here to talk to you about storms, okay? You guys know enough about storms. We, you, if you need to hear about storms, turn on K-Love, okay? That's all they talk about. Storms. Storms, storms, storms. Dear Lord, like there's not a sunny day, okay? But they're good encouragement, Right? I'm not here to talk to you about storms. 
I want to talk to you about things that can affect us in the sense to where it can look good to everyone else, but in truth and reality, it's hurting us. The things that we're supposed to be above anyways because of our call from Jesus. I remember being in... um, in Celine at a Bible study, and that's where I got saved and filled and all that kind of good stuff. That's where my life was wrecked, and we went into Celine Saturday. We ate some crawfish, um, and but whenever we were driving, I took Tia by the house, and I said, that's where it all happened. That's where it all changed for me. But I remember sitting there, and I, I can't really explain to you exactly what happened because I don't think I can put it into words, but I was sitting there, and I remember Ginger preaching. She was like 10 minutes into her sermon, and I was just a mess. Just, I was slobbering. Uh, everything that could come out of a hole was coming out in my face, uh, like crying out of my ears, snot everywhere. But like, it's because I felt like this tangible presence of God, and I had seen stuff. I had seen God do stuff, but I didn't necessarily want to do that quite yet because one I didn't know really what that even looked like and things like that but when the presence of God came it made me rethink all of these things that I had heard and that were a lie and well you know if you just believe that Jesus is real then you'll be okay that's not true even the demons know that he's real and yet we know where they're going to spend eternity and, and, and so that's it's it's not enough to know that he's there um, you know and, and so I was sitting there and like the presence of God comes on you and it's like, I don't know how to explain it. It's like heavy, but light. And it's so freeing, but yet you feel so safe and contained. Like you're guarded, but free. It's, it's nuts. I don't know how to, but I, I just remember sitting there and I said, Lord, I never want to be the reason why somebody doesn't experience this very thing. So, and like I had been into enough church lock-ins and stuff, and I and I was like, I'm gonna go use the bathroom whenever they do the altar call because I already know what's going on. And so I would just duck out. But I've heard enough of what they would say. They'd say, "Now repeat after me," and they'd say this prayer or whatever. And so I was like, "Lord, you know," I gave him the redneck version. I said, "Lord, uh, uh, cleanse me, save me, do whatever you got to do." Uh, amen. And so I may not even say the prayer right. Who knows if I'm even saved right now? But I'm kidding. The prayer's not in the Bible. We all come down. but that's why I stepped out of the boat, if you will, is because he met me. And then all of a sudden I felt like there was a call to more. I felt like there was purpose. And so then I take another step and it doesn't say how many steps Peter took, but as I begin to put myself, I'm a very visual learner. Anybody else in here visual? Okay, cool, cool, cool. So whenever I begin to put myself in people's spots, right? Whenever I read the Bible, I put myself in that situation or I put myself in their body or I try to see it from where somebody that was there would see it. And I begin to see myself as Peter and what it would look like because Peter wasn't paying attention to the wind and everything else that was going on before he stepped out. But I could see him taking a few steps and then maybe seeing it or feeling the wind on his skin because maybe the adrenaline is there. I don't know. I've never walked on water. I don't know what he's feeling. Okay. But like, in those moments where it doesn't seem like the stuff that, it's not concerning you, but then all of a sudden you feel the wind on your skin and you begin to see the waves. And who knows, Peter was a fisherman. Maybe he saw what some of those waves would do to boats whenever he was in them. And I don't know, maybe Peter, I, this, is, this isn't in the Bible, but I'm just trying to put myself there. And maybe he saw the destruction that some of those waves did beforehand. And so then all those thoughts become to creep in and he starts to look, where? He starts to look down. Starts to look around and seeing the wind and the waves. And 
And I, some of us do that. Some of us do that. And maybe it's you because we look at something that's lesser. And whenever Jesus comes up and he gives him his hand, I feel like Jesus was not rebuking him in the sense of like, oh, you have little faith. Oh, my God, I can't believe I got to be like, man, I can't believe you put your eyes on something lesser. Man, you, because you worship, you worship with the same level of revelation that you have of his love. And so if you don't have extravagant worship, and I'm not talking about like whatever your posture is, right? If you've got the like this posture, that posture, this posture, you get it down on your knees, you're laying down on the ground doing cartwheel. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about with your life. Your level of obedience is connected to your revelation of his love for you. And if you don't know his love for you, then you will not take the step. And you'll begin to look at something that's so much lesser. And so, if I was, I didn't get saved to do ministry. And not a single person in ministry got saved to do ministry. Let's be honest. Because if we really knew what it was, we wouldn't have said yes. (laughs) And everybody in ministry said amen. But I'd choose this one million times over. Because I cannot imagine doing anything else with my entire life. There's not a greater call. There's not a greater, a greater privilege than being a co-laborer with Jesus. Not a, there's, there's nothing better. But I want to ask you, what are your waves? What are your waves? What, are your, what is the thing that you focus on that's already underneath you? Um, I know this may be controversial, and that's okay. I feel like this is, if I'm going to be controversial somewhere, then this is the place to be it. Amen. No, but... I didn't get saved to be a good person. I didn't get saved to be a good old boy. I didn't get saved so that people could see me better. I didn't get saved for my reputation. I got saved because of the reasons that I just told you. But yet, intimacy with Jesus is supposed to stand above everything, including your morality. Including your morality. I'm not sitting here and I'm I'm about to get on a kind of a tangent but I'm not here to tell you to don't be moral. I'm not here to tell you not make moral choices. I'm asking you why you're making the choices that you are. And, I, you know, I didn't get saved to, to be moral, and I, I didn't get saved so that I could, you know, be a better person, all this kind of stuff. And it's so funny because it can so easily become that if you're not careful. It, can be so, it becomes so easy to focus on the things that you need to clean up in your life so that, you know, you can be a better Christian, you can be a better person. All these kinds of things. And I'm not telling you that God doesn't want to do some things in your life. and all. That, but I'm asking your motive. I'm asking your motive. I remember um, we, we uh, also did all those things at the Dream Center. But then we were young adults pastors as well at Angel's Temple. And we would have people over for dinner and things like that. And I would just ask them, you know, like, hey, what's God teaching you? What do you feel like you're learning? What do you, you know? And they said, well, you know, and we had guys that were in discipleship, which is kind of like our one-year recovery program, and they would catch me out on the blacktop, and I'd be going to take out my trash, and then all of a sudden, like 50 minutes later, I'd come back to cold food and a mad wife. But they would ask me stuff like, hey, man, like, I'm just trying, I'm sorry, I'm doing my Steven Dickerson voice again. <laughs> I, it works. He's like, hey, I'm, 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 trying to, I'm trying to beat lust. I'm trying to beat pornography. I'm trying to, how do I, how do I fix this? Or whenever you ask me what God's teaching you, well, brother, I'm just trying to, 
I'm trying to beat this or I'm trying to... And it's whatever they're struggling with, right? And I'm not saying let's not confess our struggles. The Bible's very clear about that. But when that's the only thing that you struggle on, this is what I would tell them. And this is kind of profound. And so I just want to like give it some space. And I just want you to kind of get into a place real quick. And I want to ask you a question. Or actually, I want to tell you not to do something, okay? So do not think about purple elephants. Don't think about it. Okay, God's honest truth. How many of you thought about a purple elephant? You didn't really want to, right? Well, you said it. And it's on your mind. And so now what am I focused on? And so now your whole Christian walk is boiled down to don't do this, don't do that. Don't let me not look at this. Let me not look at that. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I can't believe I looked at that. I need to go talk to somebody that I looked at that. Oh my gosh, and now I'm trying to beat this. I'm trying to I'm trying not to do that or I'm trying not to do this. And your whole Christian walk is summed up to what you can't or not are supposed to do. Well, don't do this, don't do that. Guess what? You have looked at the waves, my friend. You've looked at something that doesn't have as much power as Jesus. Well, how do I stay above the waves? Don't look at them. I'm not telling you ignore your problems. I'm telling you to gaze upon Jesus. Because what you set your eyes on, you will behold. And if you want to look at waves, then that's fine. But don't sit there and talk about the waves. You chose them. And I, and, I, and I love you, but you're looking at something that's so much lesser and God is so much more worthy of your attention and your adoration. He's so much more worthy of your decisions. He's so much worthy of your thoughts. And so how about instead of us pacing and going to, and all this warfare, and you're going to all this warfare and it's not working because you focused on the wrong thing. Instead of talking about how bad all this sin is, won't we start talking about the goodness of God, what He's done, what His blood covers, and how powerful He is. And we think that Jesus is going to come back riding on His donkey again, and He's coming back on a white horse. He's coming back as a king. And this is the king in which we serve and we forget that we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. That there's nothing that can separate us from his love. There's no power, principality, angel, nor demon. That the Bible says that I'm a co-heir with Christ. That I'm seated with him. Not will be at this very moment. That I am no less and no more righteous than Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, this offends the religious. But it sets free those that are actually looking for help. Because how could you tell me you're the same righteousness as Jesus? It's because it's not mine. But yet we focus on the things that we don't want to do. And this is what our Christian life is summed up to be. And so now our whole goal is to be moral. And to the untrained eye, what it looks like, (laughs) it it looks good. Well, they're just trying to be a better person. They're just fighting the good fight. That's not the good fight. It's not the good fight. Well, brother, I'm just trying to... Anybody with an untrained eye be like, that, guy, that guy's just good old boy, all this kind of stuff. I don't... I'm sitting here, even in worship, I'm like, man, what do I want my legacy to be? Because this is what it's about. And what hurts, what I feel like kind of hurts God's heart is that we're more concerned and we'll, and we'll cover it up with things like our witness. Well, you've got to protect the witness. I'm sorry, but if your witness is, is different between public and private, you don't have a witness, you have two lives. If I can't do it in public, then I shouldn't do it in private. I, I'm sorry, and I know that some people are going to be like, well, you know, no, I'm being God honest. Does Jesus have a life with his disciples and a life when he's alone? 
Does Jesus have a life in the public that he doesn't have in the private? And I think that this generation is looking for someone that does not have two lives. That does not preach on something, but yet live another thing. And I know that we've always been craving that. But I'm going to tell you, the heart of the Father is the same. But if we only live a moral life simply because this is the one thing that we're after, one, our moral has become an idol. A morality and a reputation has become an idol. And if you're not careful, you'll label it as, you'll label it as a Christian that's saying, well, I'm just trying to keep my witness, brother. But we're more worried about keeping our witness than we are grieving Holy Spirit. And your reward is here. There's no reward for that in heaven. Because I love the way that Tia puts it. We read this book and it's called Driven by Eternity. And if you want to read it, great. If you, if you, if you do read it, just be alarmed. You're going to be like, am I saved? Um, but like, John, it's John Bevere. And so the only other book that has as much scripture uh, as the Bible is probably John Bevere's books. They're like jam-packed with scripture. But what he talks about is in the, uh, whenever we come before the Father and we begin to put all of our works, everything that we've done, uh, he's going to, Tia puts it like this. He's going to put like a pressure washer of fire over all the things that we've done. And the motive of those things is either going to be hay or it's going to be gold. And it's going to burn up if it's not done for him. Because you can do all these things for people. I don't do anything for people. I can't. I can't do it for people. It won't last. It'll burn up. And you know, Satan likes to come in and he's, he's done this for a while now. He likes to undersell you on what God has for you. Um, in Genesis 3, he, he was talking to Eve and he said something like, is that really, is that really what God said? Is that, you know, I, but I bet you he was only telling you this was because he was trying to keep you away from something. He was trying to keep you away from being like him. He, he didn't want you to, for that. And if you're not careful, the enemy will lie to you. And is that really what God had for you? Does he really want you to be intimate with him? Does he really want your life to look that much different? Is he really calling you to do? Why would he pick you in the first place? You're not that special. So you think God wants you to what? You think God wants to talk to you? You think God wants to speak to you? And he'll undersell you. That's not, man, hey, you just be a good person. Because, let me be honest, I, I feel like I'm exposing kind of a little bit of a blueprint of the enemy. He's okay with your morality. Right. He's okay with you being a good person. Yeah. Right. He's okay with you making decent choices and having a good reputation. He's not okay. I mean, he'll play the long game. Yeah. And, but he's not okay with you having intimacy. He's, he's okay with your morality. He's not okay with intimacy. Because when you only have morality in itself, you're weak, you're fe- you don't have any power. There's no power in that. There's no power in just being a good person, but there's power in what God has done in you and, and being in, in relationship with Him. And it's easier to follow rules than it is to stay in love. It's easier to follow rules. You can go to work and follow all the rules and not love it. And you only follow the rules because guess what? Come Friday, you need some money in that bank account. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You don't love it. Some of you. You go to work and you're like, yeah, I'll follow the dress code. 
But as soon as you get home, guess what? Shirt untucked, you know, got shorts on. And it's like, you don't want to dress like that, but you'll follow the rules. And you don't want to have to come in whenever you have to come in, but you'll have to do it because that's the rules. And some of us, our Christianity has become like that, and we've lost our joy of being with God. It's like, well, you know, I just got to go to church because I don't want to, I don't want to be one of those. Knockoff Christianity is simply giving up intimacy for mere morality or behavioral modification. And it's the complete opposite of what Jesus said that he would do. Jesus says that he'll wash the cup from the inside out. But morality washes the cup from the outside and cannot touch the inside. Your morality is not going to change why you make bad decisions. But Jesus, he will. See, and whenever we only have morality, that's not what the gospel paid for. I remember going to a really um, nice restaurant. And uh, it was a restaurant that like, I had no business being in. It was last minute. Somebody invited me to go. And I was severely underdressed, as always. And I show up, and we open up the menu, and there's no prices. And every part of you wants to be like that one person that's like, well, ain't no price on it. Guess it's free. <gasps> it's so bad. That's not the case. And so if there's any single guys in here and you take a girl and there's no prices on the menu, get a stomach bug. Uh, head out. Because it means that you're about to pay way more for that food than you really want to. Um, everybody, somebody actually just started taking notes right then. Uh, they're like, I'm not taking notes. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> but I remember being there and, and, and getting a steak and whatever, and the steak comes out, and maybe it's like the size of my hand, and, you know, I'm hungry. And so I remember eating the steak and everything else that came out. I was like, man, this is so good. And then the check came, but then the person that was paying wasn't there, and then the check was open, and I seen it, and it was like probably like $300, $400 for this meal. And I'm like, the steak is this big. Like, I saw that, and I'm like, I mean, I ain't painted or nothing, but like, where's the rest of my steak at? You know what I'm saying? I go to Waffle House and get something three times the size of that. Glory to God. <laughs> and get to smoke while I'm there. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Make all kinds of new friends. But I was sitting there, I'm like, man, we need to get what we paid for. We need to get what you paid for. <laughs> and Jesus does the same thing. The bill was way more than anything that we could pay. If something only he could pay, and yet sometimes our life, we boil it down to morality, and Jesus is like, man, I need to get what I paid for. And the gospel did not pay for me to have behavioral modification or for me to have just some good morals, but the Bible, the, the, the gospel, and Jesus coming and living a sinless life and dying on the cross and resurrecting three days later and then sending his own spirit to live and dwell on the inside of me did not happen so that I can make good decisions. But the veil was torn so that I could have access to the Holy of Holies. That I could come before God and make my petitions known. So that I could not only just have a God in the sky, but I could have a father and a friend. But we settle, we settle, we settle, we get the knockoff. And you know what's crazy is that if we use the analogy of Peter in the boat, some of us will just be sinking in all the waves with a smile on our face because we don't want anybody to know. 
Because what are they going to think about me if I tell them I haven't really been in intimacy? I've just been going through the motions and I've just kind of been doing what's convenient and I don't... (laughs) Man, if we were to see stuff in the light of eternity, we'd make some different decisions, amen? Myself included, yeah. And it kind of reminds me of... Verse 30, whenever Jesus comes and he begins to kind of rebuke Peter, he's like, oh, you have little faith. You know, I don't, like I said before, I don't see Jesus giving him some hard rebuke because, oh, Peter, you really sucked it up. You know, he looked at Peter and it's like, man, you bought into something lesser. I had, man, if you could have came up, that would have been nuts if you'd have made it all the way out here. And I know why you started, but I hate that you gave it up for something so much lesser. Things that you were walking on, you let it take you under. And, you know, I think it just broke his heart. But also, just to think that sometimes with our life, I feel like Jesus would say this to us sometimes, just saying, this is all that you thought there was? You thought all there was is for you to be a good person and make good decisions, listen to different music? get some behavior modification, say the right things, you begin to speak Christianese. Glory to God. Wow. You know some scriptures. You've got them memorized. That's great. You post them on Facebook. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. You got a Jesus fish on your car? I don't put anything like that on my car. I can't drive yet. I'd be a bad witness. <laughs> I'd be cutting folks off in Jesus' name. <laughs> I take dominion over the road. Man. It's not what he paid for. It's not what he paid for. He paid for us to know him. To know him. And the word know is what I talked about last time I was here. I know all of you guys remember exactly what I preached last time I was here. But I talked about knowing him. I can't get away from this because this is the thing that Jesus wants. Us. And it's this word called genosco. It said, you shall know the truth. And Jesus is the truth, right? And it means to be a first-hand acquaintance. It means to, to I'll tell you what, the same, the same way that he says it there, to know the truth. Mary said it whenever she told the angel. She goes, I can't have a kid. I've never known a man. It's that level of intimacy. It's saying there's nothing between us. I've never been with someone who did not see me with everything uncovered. Everything that I hide from everyone else, I don't know a man that knows all of my faults, all of my fears, all my failures, everywhere that I come up short. I don't know a man that intimate to be able to give birth to something like this. And so many of us, we have a plan and a purpose and all these kinds of things for our life that God wants to birth in us, but yet we don't know Him intimate enough to make those things come out. But yet we have all the right words and we have all the right actions and we know what to post on Facebook and we know all these kinds of things. But when we go home, it's stale. It's stale bread. We go to spend time with him and it's stale. Or we try to listen to stuff and it's stale. And we're only regurgitating what we hear instead of having fresh bread for ourselves. And God's like, I pay for more than this. I remember, I'll tell this last story and then I'll wrap up, but when we were at the Dream Center, I was working for, or, you know, I was doing ministry with a, a thing called Adopt-A-Block, and that's when we went around and did diff- different things for the community, and, um, you know, and so then what we would do, uh, there was a person that was actually uh, a hoarder, and we went to go clean a hoarder's house, um, 
I'm sure that some of you kind of know what that looks like, but it has nothing compared to what I stepped into. I promise you. Um, the TLC wouldn't even step foot up in that house. I'm going to be honest. Like, they couldn't even make a show out of it. They, I mean, it was tough. And she had all kinds of cats and everything else, and there was all kinds of feces left everywhere, roaches. Like, it was the roaches' house, and the lady lived in it. It was nuts. And there was boxes everywhere and just stuff. And I remember going in, and we had gloves. And this is before uh, 2020, right? So we was masked up. We was gloved up. Like, we made 2020 look, like, not all that great. It was just like whenever it came to PPE, you know what I'm saying? Like, we had all the PPE on and I uh, went in, and I remember just cleaning some stuff up. And they said, man, it's worse than last time. I said, sorry, last time? Like, y'all did this before? And they're like, oh, yeah. And I've come to find out they've been, like, they've gotten their house clean before, but yet it wasn't even that much longer later. It was all coming back. And I'm going to be honest. I left. I went and showered. I showered three times in a row consecutively. Because I'd get out and I'd be like, no, nah, ain't no way it's all gone. Ain't no way it's all off of me. <laughs> i got to go back in the shower again. And sometimes we think that that's all that God's wanting to do. And that God's just wanting to come into our house and just clean us up. Get us real looking good. Because what if somebody comes over? Y'all, y'all ever had somebody like that? The mama of the house is like, we need to make sure nobody, it looks like nobody lives here before people come over. Yeah. Like, go make your bed on the other side of the house where guests never come. <laughs> Shots are fired. But if we're, <laughs> well, what I told him, I said, "Hey, we need to, we need to, we need to talk to this lady, because obviously you don't this you don't just wake up and be a hoarder, right? Like there's these issues, there's these things that um, we need to to counsel or get some help. Better than me, we need to have some professional come up in here, and." So often we think that God's just trying to come in and clean us all up, get us a little good, and send us out. Oh, well, you know, God is more about finding out why your mess got that way. Why are you making the decisions that you're making? I want to wash the cup from the inside out. And you're so worried about being a good Christian that yet you've forgotten what it's like to be a daughter or a son. And you become more uh, uh, accustomed to keeping a witness than you are grieving Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit's like, I'm way more concerned with you than anything that you can do for me. And I remember whenever Jesus calls Peter, he tells him three things. He says, come, follow me, and then I'll make you a fisher of men. But yet, this is what we do. We come to Jesus and we're like, I'm ready to fish. And he's like, you don't know me. You've never imitated me. So I cannot send you out on mission quite yet. Because I need, there's some things. You've got this dirty house, and yes, we're going to clean it up, and it's going to be great. But then at the same time, there's some things in your heart that I need to heal. That's not going to happen through you having just good morals alone. And so if that's you today, this is what I want to say. There's a better way. There's a better way. You don't have to get the knockoff. You can afford the real thing because it's not your bill to pay in the first place. Right? Would you guys stand with me? If we've got a worship team that wants to come up, that would be sick so that we can get more spiritual. You're good. No worries. Yeah, you can put some. It doesn't matter. It don't, it's not that big a deal. So I guess at this moment what we would be doing is we would be taking the blue light. <laughs> 
And we'd be looking over our life and saying, am I just being moral to be moral? And I feel like even in a culture here, it would be more dangerous because there's so much expectation. As soon as you tell somebody that you're a Christian, oh man, there's like a red X on your back. Because everything that you do is going to get judged. Well, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, you shouldn't be saying that. Well, you shouldn't be that way. But like, I didn't get saved to be a good person. Yet, I do the right thing not so that I can be righteous. I do the right thing because I am. It's totally different. Totally different. I believe what God's done for me. I believe what God's done for you. And he's paid for intimacy. He's paid for intimacy. And I, we did a, leader, or we did a uh, youth conference, and they asked me to come and speak, and I thought I had an hour. And I was like, what, an hour at a youth? Y'all might as well just wrap that up. That ain't going to work. So they gave me two 30-minute deals, and we talked about purpose. Because everybody wants to know what the purpose is, right? It's a really good topic. And we talked about literally what I just told you in Matthew 4. Where he says, come, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And so everybody's getting hyped up. I'm like, oh, you know, Jesus, you know, he's got a plan for your life, a purpose for your life. And they're all like, yeah, he does, glory. You know, whatever, whatever youth sounds like. That's what I was hoping they would sound like, right? They're like, wow, oh, my gosh, he does. I said, okay, okay, okay. And then I got to the end. I said, but I have to tell you this, too. And they're like, you know, wide-eyed. I was like, I have to tell you what it cost. And they're like, uh, okay. Everybody's great with the product until you have to tell them how much it costs, right? right. <laughs> I said, it's going to cost you everything. And then some of them, you could tell, because some of them, their heads sunk, and some of them, it stayed up. It was like some knew his worth, and some not quite there yet. And so this life that we're talking about, the better way, the better way, the real authentic stuff, it's going to cost you everything. And I love you, and that's why I tell you this. It's going to cost you friends. It's going to cost you uh, relationships. It's going to cost you your plans. It's going to cost you your convenience. It's going to cost, literally name it, it'll cost you. But the thing that you do is that you surrender it, and you end up actually getting something much better than you could have ever planned for yourself. But you have to lay yourself down. Jesus says you've got to lose your life to find it. You've got to pick up your cross, deny yourself. Come on and follow me. There's some action steps that need to take place. And so this life that we talk about, that's a better way. What I have to ask you before I say, do you want it? That's a dumb question. Everybody wants it. But I have to ask you, are you willing to pay for it? Because you've given you the product. The product is great. But are you willing to pay the price? And so I'm going to pray and then... You guys can come down if you want some prayer or if you just want to take it up with Jesus yourself. Matter of fact, why don't you just come down and handle it with Jesus yourself and I'll be here and I'll just pray with you instead of for you because this is between you and him and I'm just here. So let's do it. Jesus, I thank you so much, God, that you've given us something so real and so authentic. 
And Father, I just pray even right now that those that have settled for something lesser than what you paid for, that God, that they would totally surrender that and say, Jesus, I've settled, I've settled, I've settled, I've settled. I don't want um, this thing. I want the greater thing. I want what you've paid for, God. And I'm so tired of going through the motions and I don't want normal. I want supernatural. I don't want what the world could give me. I only want what could come from heaven. And so even right now, God, if those people are here, I just pray that, God, that you'd begin to convict them, that you'd love on them, and that you'd begin to tell them, son, there's a better way. Daughter, there's a better way. You don't have to settle for the knockoff and be normal and try to make good decisions without my power because you can't do it. I didn't form you that way. I didn't create you for that. And Jesus, we thank you for this. And in your name, amen.